Heavenly Father, as we open your word, God, give us ears and hearts that will hear the message that you have for us. Thank you, Father, that though these words were written thousands of years ago, they still speak to hearts and minds that are listening to the Spirit of God even today. Father, thank you that you are still in control. When we have doubts, Lord, may the words of this psalm reassure us that history will ultimately come to the end as you have planned it. But, Father, help us to see right now these moments in history you have placed us here as believers, as a church, to bear witness to you. And, Lord, strengthen our spiritual bodies so that when we go forth from this place that we will bear witness to you. And, Lord, people will see Christ in us and we will know that you're in control of not only our lives but of this world. Father, again, please speak, for we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I hope that you've got your Bibles open to Psalm 2. And last Sunday, and we never really got into the text, and I want to take uh, this Sunday and at least next Sunday, maybe one more uh, Sunday, and talk about the words in Psalms 2. Folks, again, I just ask you to hear the Word of God. I'm not trying to stand here and teach you a Sunday school lesson because sometimes I think you might be saying, well, I wanted to be more entertained. I wanted something more exciting than hearing the Word of God. Let me tell you, we need the Word of God. We are living in a land in which we have turned away from the Word of God, and we need a revival of the Bible, so to speak. And so... God has really laid on my heart that, that as your pastor that I should point you to the Bible and pray and ask God to give me insight and wisdom about His Word, not so that I could boast this is what I've found in it, but so that I can share it with you and you and I can feed ourselves spiritually and you and I can grow in our faith. So please follow uh, these verses of Scripture. And let me just, as I read, let me point some things out about it. There are at least four different sections or scenes in, in these 12 verses. Verses 1 through 3, the peoples and the nations rebel against God. Listen to these first three verses. What fools, and I'm going to be reading this out of the Living Bible, the King James is to the side. What fools the nations are to rage against the Lord. How strange that men should try to outwit God. Listen to verse 2. For a summit conference of the nations has been called a plot against the Lord and his Messiah, Christ the King. We're going to get on this a little bit later, but in verse 2, you might be saying, how could David envision Christ and his coming? How could David, 900 to 1,000 years before Christ's coming, how could David see that God was going to send his Messiah? I can't wait to tell you about how that is pointed out. Verse 3, Come, let us break his chains, they say, and free ourselves from all this slavery to God. Is that not happening in our day? And I'll just leave it at that, okay? Then in verses 4 through 6, God's response to the rebellion of people and nations. Listen to this, verse 4. But God in heaven merely laughs. Now, folks, I want to point something out. God doesn't take this as a joke. And God is greatly burdened. I would remind you again that Jesus wept over Jerusalem as he got ready to go into the city to be betrayed and to be hung on a cross. God is serious about his love for us. 
But as he sees the plans of man, he merely laughs. He is amused by all their puny plans. And then in fierce fury, he rebukes them and fills them with fear. For the Lord declares. Now, folks, listen to this declaration, not just for David as king of Israel, but as Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Listen to verse 6. For the Lord declares, this is the king of my choice. I have enthroned him in Jerusalem, my holy city. And this, then verse 7, 8, and 9, God's son, the true king, speaks. Listen to this. His chosen one replies, I will reveal the everlasting purposes of God. For the Lord has said to me, you are my son. This is your coronation day. Today I am giving you your glory. Again, this speaks of a future time when, when Jesus will be uh, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In verse 8, only ask and I will give you all the nations of the world. Rule them with an iron rod. Smash them like clay pots. And then in verses 10, 11, and 12, the Holy Spirit of God warns against the impending judgment of God. And folks, again, you can take this any way you want to. I'm not trying to stomp and snort and spit and sputter, but God's judgment is coming. It is coming upon sin. And folks, let me tell you the good thing about being a born-again believer. My sin and your sin as Christians was judged on the cross of Calvary. But if you and I refuse the blood of Jesus to take away our sin and the judgment and punish of our sin, then the judgment of sin is coming upon us if we're not washed in the blood. And folks, that not only speaks of, of, of individuals, but it speaks of nations. So listen to this warning. Verse 10, O kings and rulers of the earth, listen while there is time. Serve the Lord with reverent fear, rejoice with trembling. And folks, listen to verse 12. There's a command, there's a warning, and there's a beatitude. Listen to this, the command. Fall down before his son and kiss his feet before his anger is roused and you perish. Here's the warning. I am warning you, his wrath will soon begin. And here's the beatitude. But oh, the joys of those who put their trust in him. Is God in control, still in control? And the answer to that is yes. How can, we, how can we be assured of that? We must turn back to the Word of God, and not only Psalms 2, but many passages in the Word of God points out that God is in control. But let's look at some things here in Psalms 2. And I want to just give you a couple of quick notes. And again, I pray that this is going to be very important to you. Number one, it is written by King David. And I hope somebody's thinking, how in the world can you say that? How can you know that Psalms 2, written thousands of years ago, is about King David? Well, let me get you to turn to Acts chapter 4. And this is going to be on the overhead, okay? But make a note of this. How do we know Psalms 2 is written by David? And let me just take just a moment in, 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 in Acts chapter 4, okay? In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John have healed a crippled man in the temple in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's verse 6 of chapter 3. But listen to these verses in chapter 4. Now, folks, I want to tell you, it broke loose against Peter and John after they healed this man. The Jewish leaders got very, very upset at them. Listen to this. 
As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them annoyed. Listen to this. Annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were annoyed. Verse 3. They arrested them. I hope it doesn't come in my lifetime. In this country, it's already happening in other countries around the world, and you know that, it's on the news, where Christians are being not only arrested, but persecuted, and some even put to death for believing that Jesus is the Christ and he's risen from the dead. They arrested them, put them in custody until the morrow, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed. Now listen to this, folks. Even in the, in the face of conflict, God is at work. Even as Peter and John are being put in prison, or imprisoned momentarily and told not to speak, even during those moments, people are believing. And it says in verse 4, And the number of the men who came were about 5,000. Folks, just because there's opposition to Christianity and to the church does not mean that God is not still at work. I need to remind myself of that all the time. There's a verse that has really helped me in the last couple of weeks. It's Psalms 3.3. It says, Restore my courage. Restore my courage. That's in a new, newer version. Our courage needs to be restored, folks. We don't have to apologize because we profess faith in Jesus Christ. We don't have to apologize because we stand for the Bible and we stand for the Gospel. We don't have to apologize because we think that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came to the world, that He died on the cross, He was buried, and He rose from the grave. That's a whole other sermon. I'm sorry, okay? Verse 5, On the morrow their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and all who are the high priestly family. Remember, folks, these are the, this is the same crowd who tried Jesus and got the crowd to yell out, Crucify him, crucify him. Here's Peter and John. They're standing before them. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power... Or by what name did you do this? That is, heal this crippled man. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me stop for just a second, okay? Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. You remember in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God fell upon all those that were worshiping together. And it's not just the speaking in tongues, folks, but it is being empowered by the living God. And here Peter, in face of the opposition, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Just keep that in your mind as I read on. And so he said to the rulers, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today uh, concerning a good deed done to a cripple, by what means this man has been healed, be it known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. This is a stone which was rejected by you, you builders, but which has become the head of the corner. Now listen to this next verse. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which you must be saved. Now let me stop for just a second, okay? There are a lot of people that debate there are many, many ways to getting saved. That ain't what the Bible says, and that's not what God's Spirit says, because remember again, Peter is filled with what? The Spirit of God. And he's telling, he's telling them that there's no other name by which we can get saved. 
Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they wondered and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And folks, here's a point that we need to hear. If we're going to change the world that we live in, people must see Jesus in us. We need to stop talking about him as we need to start talking about him more. But we if, if we're just going to talk about him and not demonstrate it, we need to stop talking and start demonstrating it and then start talking about him. Do you see the importance of living for the Lord Jesus Christ? Fast forward to verse 18. You're still probably saying, well, what in the world has this got to do with Psalms 2? Just hold on. OK, listen to verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Think about that verse for just a second. So they charged them, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What did Matthew, what did, what did Jesus say in Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20 to his disciples? Go ye into all the world and make disciples. What does Jesus say in Acts 1-8? But ye shall be my witnesses. Folks, these people are charging them in direct contrast to what Jesus has told them to do. Who will they listen to? Who will we listen to? If the world says, we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to hear about Jesus. What will we do? But listen to what Peter and John say in verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we, but of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all men praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. There was a proof. A man who had been crippled for all these years was healed. When they were released, they went to their friends, i.e. the church, and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them, And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together with God and said, now look what they said, Sovereign God, Sovereign Lord. That means not only the Creator and the everlasting God, but the one who is in control. Sovereign Lord, who does make the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who by the mouth of our father David. Whoa! Where does David come into this. Listen to what he's going to say. Who by the mouth of our father David thy servant did say by the Holy Spirit. Look at those next words. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves in array and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Folks, they're quoting Psalms 2. Folks, again, this is Almost a thousand years since David wrote these words, and here Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, are witnessing to others by telling them what God said in Psalms 2. Folks, this happens to point out to us that God is in control. And Peter and John saw that. And the early church saw that. They knew persecution was coming. They knew that the world would not want them to stand tall for the gospel. But they knew God was in control. Folks, again, I don't know how well I'm making the point. The world's trying to tell you and I as Christians to sit down and shut up. We talk about so much, don't we? But how much do we talk about Jesus 
And I'm not talking about being annoying to other people. But folks, there's a time and a place that people want us to share our faith. Are we going to do it? We must depend upon the Holy Spirit of God to lead us. And we must, we must know that God's in control. Back to Psalms 2. And again, this morning, this might not be a powerful message, but folks, I want to tell you what's in this psalm. Number one, this psalm is called a royal psalm because it tells about how David has been placed as king over Israel. And what might seem unimportant to us is very important. Back during that day, surrounding nations were seeking to rebel against God and God's king And they would attack David, but who would take care of David? It was God. If you and I are attacked, even by terrorists, who's going to take care of this nation? If we're faithful to God, God will take care of us. God chose the nation Israel as His own people, and society has tried to wipe out the Jews for centuries, even millennia. But they are still here. Amen? And they're going to remain here until Jesus Christ comes back again because God is in control and that His His special people. But folks, this also is a messianic psalm. And what does that mean? It points to the Messiah, the Christ, who is going to come. Let me read to you out of 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. And I know just jumping from one place to the other might seem like, well, what in the world is he talking about? But folks, these verses that I'm getting ready to read to you is a vision that God gave the prophet Nathan and he spoke to David. Listen to this. Verses 12 through 15 talk about David's son, Solomon. Might want to just make a mental note of that. Verses 12 through 15 are about Solomon who would succeed David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will. Now, notice how often I will. God will. God will. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. When he commits iniquity. Now, this is not about Jesus. This is about Solomon. Jesus is not, he he is a man, but he does not sin. So these verses are about Solomon. When he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but I will not take my steadfast love from him as I did from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And then listen to verse 16. And folks, this is a monumental verse in the Old Testament. God is speaking through Nathan in Nathan's vision to David. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, who is God speaking about in verse 16? He's speaking about Jesus. And you might say, prove it. That's good. Let's do that. Okay? Listen to Matthew 1.1. As Matthew begins the genealogy of Jesus, look what he says. This is the very first verse in the gospel, in the New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Read that next phrase. The son of David. Whoa! Where did that come from? It came from the promise 
that God made to David that not only would his sons reign over Israel, one of his descendants, God Almighty, would become flesh. And he eventually would become the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Listen to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this. In those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. You know, this is a Christmas story. And, and, and some of these things about the Christmas story, they don't make a lot of sense, do they? Why would they talk about an enrollment or, or a census? Folks, according to the Old Testament, where would the Messiah be born? Bethlehem. Where was Mary and Joseph living when God's angel spoke to them and said, you're going to have a baby? And it's going to be conceived of the Holy Spirit. Where were they living? They were living in Galilee. They were living in Nazareth. So listen to this for just a second. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be enrolled, each to his own city, the city of their birth. So Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, To where? To the city of David. Folks, it might not sound that important, but God had made a promise that His Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and that He would be a descendant of David. Folks, it goes all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. It goes all the way back to Psalms chapter 2. God is in control. And even the coming of Jesus Christ that we're going to celebrate next month, it was all a part of His plan. Listen to verse 11. Here's the angel speaking to the shepherds, and and this is in Luke chapter 2. And folks, it's no coincidence that everything is worded like it is in Scripture and everything happens that it does. Listen to verse 11. The angel speaking to the shepherd, "For For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Where was Jesus born again? the city of David, and the angel says, He is the Savior, He is the Christ. And folks, and i gotta, I got to read this verse to you, okay, because we've got a little mistake. If you think this is not important, that Jesus is a descendant of David, in, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, and actually we've got on the screen Matthew 1, 1 again, but this is, this is in the last chapter of the Bible. Listen to what Jesus says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. And again, I don't know how well I'm doing this morning of relating all of this together, but here's my, here's my point, folks. Connect the dots. God's plan and choice to rule over the nation of Israel was King David who would establish a dynasty, but that dynasty would eventually lead to the Messiah being born of a descendant of David, and Joseph was that descendant. Folks, can you see that in the Word of God there's a plan being revealed? When I was in, in seminary, and, and, and I'm, I'm not really that smart, and y'all already, y'all, I'm going to tell you that, but the professor kept talking about the salvation history in the Bible, that throughout the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, it is the story of God saving mankind. And He is going to do it through His Son. But God was going to use the human race. God was going to use a man like Abraham, and then a king like David, 
And then a man like Joseph, who would humbly concede to God's will that his wife, who is a virgin, should have a child. And he would not complain and divorce her quietly because he knew that God was in control and these things would happen. Folks, the time is almost out, but let me, let me point something out, okay? Psalms 2 is quoted or alluded to, alluded to at least 18 times in the New Testament more than any other psalm. And, and in, in Luke chapter 24, and let me just read this verse to you. After Jesus has risen from the dead and he meets with his disciples, listen to what this verse says. This is Luke 24, verse 44. Luke 24, 44. And then he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And folks, to sum all this up this morning, the immediate context of Psalms 2 is about the rule of David over Israel and his descendants. But in the eternal context... It is about Jesus' universal and eternal rule over mankind. Folks, history will end one day. Guess who's going to be there? It's going to be none other than Jesus Christ. And we'll bow before Him. And and I want to just leave this. I'm I'm going to stop. I promise. Okay? Let me put my hands down. So I'm going to stop. But here's the next part of the sermon. And I hope some of you say... How can, how can we believe this? Man, you're talking thousands of years ago. Well, let me ask you something. Is God dead? I'm going to ask you these three questions next week. Is God dead? I hope you say no. I hope you come to see the movie. If you think he's dead, come to see the movie Saturday night, okay? The second question is, is Jesus dead? That ain't what the, what the Bible says. And, and I love that song, He Walks With Me and Talks With Me Along Life's Narrow Way. He does. Well, folks, if God is not dead, and if His Son is not dead, guess what? His Word is not dead either. And here's what I've been driving toward, okay? Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living Amen. and active. The word active in the Greek means it is energizing. And folks, here's what, here's what I'm trying to get to. What David says in Psalms 2 was not only about the evil in the world of his day and the rebellion of the nations and that God's not threatened a bit by the plans of man, but it's about the Savior coming. And everything is going to be under His control. We will kiss His feet. And I think that expression means to bow in humble submission to Him. The world one day, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember we read last week, every tongue shall confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me sum up this sermon In five words, God is still in control. Is He in control of your life as a believer? Is He? Is He? Are we saying to God, here I am, Lord. You just take control of me and you just use me. Is He in control of this church? 
would we allow God to take full control of this church and believe that he would bless us and use us in a mighty way. That early church believed that and God used them. And if you haven't yet trusted Christ as your Savior, would you let him control your life? Would you begin by inviting Jesus to come in and be your personal Savior and the Lord of your life? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, as the Apostle Paul said, sometimes it puzzles us why you use the preaching of men to share the gospel. But Father, thank you that it's not the preaching of men, but it is the truth proclaimed under the leadership and power of the Holy Spirit that penetrates into the hearts and minds of men and even of nations. God, may we never be silenced, but may we forever praise you and share the good news of Christ. Folks, Lord, please help us as your folks to to let you be in control of our lives as Christians, of the life of this church. Lord, I pray today that if there's someone in our midst that has not yet bowed in their heart before Jesus and said, I've tried to run my own life, but now I surrender it to you. And I ask that your Son come into my heart and save me and be the Lord and Master of my life. God, if that's your will for anyone here today, help them, Father, to to invite you in and make that decision to follow you. In these moments of invitation, I just pray that you'll speak and that your will would be done. For we ask in Christ's name, amen.